plump holler I am, like an old burnt-out stump. Me too. What are we drinking to her, Alvin? What are we drink to her, Ike? Well, reckon we drunk to put everything there. I can't think of nothing new. Me neither. Hello, and welcome to The Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture. I'm Susan Araslin. Oh, I'm David Daw, and I'm drinking for this one, so there was a slight delay. <laughs> <laughs> this week, we watched our second, second, third film in the 1941 nominees, <laughs> the Gary Cooper vehicle... Sergeant York. And I watched this yesterday, so imagine how hard it is for me to keep anything about it in my brain. Uh, this movie actually kind of does the impossible, which is make me not want to look at Gary Cooper. Yeah, one, I don't know what they're doing to his hair to make him unattractive, but it took me a while to go like, I guess that is Gary, I guess that's Gary Cooper. When he doesn't have a hat on and it's a close up on his face, you're aware of it, but- this movie was a drag to watch. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, apparently there was this huge, years-long attempt to get this guy's life story, and it's one of those things where I feel like the bidding war kind of had its own inertia, because then once they got it, they must have immediately realized only a very small portion of this guy's life is interesting. Right. There's just too much lead up to this one thing he did that's vaguely interesting, which is that he fought in World War One. initially was a conscientious objector, but eventually joined the military because he just wasn't able to get a conscientious objector. Like, um, I forget what they call that. Exception. There we go. That's the word. And then while he was over there, captured a hundred and something German soldiers with like eight dudes. And they are very careful to tell you the numbers over and over and over again in that this really happened kind of a way. Right. But like, that's it. And that's generously 40 minutes of the movie. Like if we're counting all of the time he spends in basic training. I don't even know if it's that long. Yeah. The last 15 minutes of the movie are him going to New York and being celebrated for doing this. I think it's like 25, maybe. And like the first full hour is him finding religion in Appalachia. And boy, Gary Cooper cannot play Southern at all. Just can't do it. Cannot say a realistic y'all to save his fucking life. No, he's not great at it. But it's the Cumberland Mountains. It's not Appalachia. Oh. I say as someone from East Tennessee. This is Middle Tennessee. Uh, it's a different thing. <laughs> but his Southern accent is not great. It would actually just have been better if he hadn't tried to have any kind of accent. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, it is about him finding religion, sort of, but it takes an hour and 15 minutes to get there. And in the meantime, he drinks a lot. He's a really good shot. He has a crush on a girl. He wins a thing where you shoot stuff and then gets money to buy some land, but he doesn't get the land because it got sold out from under him. Then he drinks some more. Then he finds God. None of it is terribly engaging. No. And like, then you get to the conscientious objector part, at which point I thought like, well, at least we're going to have the first movie that admits World War One was bad and pointless. And nope. <laughs> 
because it takes like three minutes for the military to talk this dipshit out of his pacifism and go like, what if God liked America? Oh shit, I never even thought of that. (laughs) I guess I can do a big murder for God. Yeah, that's actually not that far off. Gary Cooper's charm only goes so far, and his charm as kind of a simple guy who just wants to settle down and marry this girl and have some farmland is sort of a waste of what Gary Cooper does well. Yeah, I think the idea is that Gary Cooper is good casting for the last 10 minutes of this movie, right? Gary Cooper is good casting for Aw Shucks War Hero. But that's almost none of this film. The whole thing of him being a big drinker, but he wants to stop, but he can't, and he's struggling with finding God. The tortured element isn't there. I kept thinking that either, and I know that they're both very different actors, but they would bring a quality to this that I think would make it more engaging. Either Clark Gable or Jimmy Stewart would have been a better choice here. Yeah, I agree with either of those. And like... Dream casting, I actually think we should have gone sad sack with this guy. But it's 41. That just wasn't going to happen. Like, I get that. I feel like Jimmy Stewart would bring that element to it. He does have really good sad eyes, and I feel like he can do both the out-of-control drunk part and the sad put-upon guy, too. Yeah, but I'm talking, like, full-on death of a salesman. Like, sad sack in the sense of, like, oh, this guy's never getting laid. In addition to, like, just being sad, you know? Well, yeah, but Joan Leslie plays his girl, and she is absolutely gorgeous. So I don't know that I would have bought that she was really into him. Yeah, but, I mean, other than the fact that it's Gary Cooper, I didn't really get why she was into him in Anyway, since there's a whole creepy thing about how he's apparently significantly older than her. She's apparently 15 in this movie, which is weird. Yeah, for sure. The first full hour is just this shaggy dog story about him trying to get land because he fell in love with a 15-year-old. Well, no, I mean, I don't think she's supposed to be 15 and he's 39. That's just how old they actually were, (laughs) the actors. That's even crazier. It's so much creepier. (laughs) I mean, she's supposed to be pretty young. Yeah, but I think he's also supposed to be pretty young. I think it's like 16 and 20, but I'm just not buying him as that at this point, you know? Uh, No. No, he looks like he's in his 30s. And she looks like a teen. Yeah, it gives the whole thing a weird, creepy energy where you're actually happy to go to the boring plot line about how he's trying to get some land. I've never been so happy World War I broke out, you know? <laughs> when they get to the scene where everybody's drafted, I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Apparently, Gary Cooper gave her a doll on set. So at least he wasn't creepy about it. He was like, you're a child. That, yeah, fair. That makes me feel better about him. Because I feel like if this were Spencer Tracy or something, we would be hearing something way worse about what happened on set. Yeah, I like, I don't even, oof. Yeah. Uh, I'm struggling for something to talk about. Here's the thing. If this was one of these individual boring movies, I would bingle Lancer Closet. The only thing interesting about this movie is it's like four different boring movies. (laughs) Uh, yeah. 
It also does a thing that absolutely makes me just roll my eyes, which is it does nothing engaging for the vast majority of the runtime and then does this big action sequence where they're at the war. And I'm like, you can't get my attention back at this point. Yeah. You wasted it for an hour and a half. I'm bored. I did not have the wherewithal to rewind, but I was halfway into that action sequence before I went like, oh, we're doing a fight. We're doing a World War One here. It was longer than halfway in. It was when he sets up to the side of the German trench and starts shooting like 30 guys in a row. And I'm like, boy, that pacifism thing sure is gone, huh? That I was like, oh, this is a battle. We're doing a war thing now. And that's basically the end of that sequence. And it's long. But I was just so checked out. I guess there's like cannons. Was he was like some French people? Between the part where he was on the shooting range and the part where he captures all the German soldiers, there was a movie in there, Mm -hmm. but I'll be damned if I could tell you any specific detail. (laughs) You mean on the shooting range when he was doing the competition or when he was in training? Oh, when he was in training. Oh, okay. I was like, well, he has his whole religious conversion where- Oh, no, 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 no. Lightning strikes his rifle and knocks him off of his mule into the mud. Oh, no, I was very engaged with being enraged by that. (laughs) I was locked in on hating all that shit. (laughs) After they capture somebody when the one German soldier throws a grenade, I had to be like, oh, I guess this guy's his buddy. Because I swear to God, I'd never seen that guy before in my life. His buddy that gets killed by the grenade. Yeah, I don't even know that they had a scene together before, did they? I assume they- I mean, maybe they did. No one is developed in this war scene well enough for me to know who they are. There's like the one guy who keeps retelling the story- Oh, he captured the crown prince, and it eventually becomes he captured the Kaiser, which is a sort of funny aside, I guess, but it doesn't really tell me anything about that character or anything else, except that sometimes people embellish stories the more they retell them. Okay. They took so long getting this guy's life story that they suddenly realized nobody remembered this guy's story that was a huge press event like 20 years ago. It's like the Richard Jewell movie that Clint Eastwood just did. It's been just long enough that you have to go. And then it was a big deal. Like everyone talked about it. You don't remember because it was 20 years ago, but everyone was talking about it. I think of things like, and I realize Saving Private Ryan is not actually a biopic and that didn't really happen, but what he did in the war could have been told from the beginning of the war. Like, I don't need to know his whole background about how he always wanted to buy land and had a girl that he wanted to marry and then he didn't manage to buy land. I guess that is all set up so at the end of it, it's like, and look, the state of Tennessee bought you a fancy house but you could have just mentioned that I don't know they're hanging out in the bunk after training and he says here's what happened in my life I don't need to see every little detail of it It, this is yet another movie that got hobbled by the Hayes Code because to me the like way you make this movie engaging is you start at the start of basic training and then you make the philosophical argument between pacifism and fighting a just war quote unquote take a long time right Like, this guy is clearly talented, he's head of his class, but we can't trust him because he just says he won't kill anybody. 
that should last forever. It should not be he gets one American history book, takes a dog on a walking tour of Daniel Boone shit, and then goes, I guess render unto Caesar means America can do whatever it wants. (laughs) Which is some real bad biblical scholarship, by the way. Yeah, no, I don't think that that actually qualifies, but I could be wrong. When you compare it, which is a disservice to Grand Delusion, but when you compare these two movies, which are about that, essentially, about whether or not war is ever just and whether or not this war in particular is just or even has any reason for happening and whether deserting is actually a good thing to do because killing people for no reason is bad... It just is super simplistic and doesn't explore the conceit that it seems to be setting up. At the very least, the time between him finding God in the rain and him being forced into basic training should be shorter than the amount of time it takes to talk him out of pacifism. And it takes four minutes, max. And I think that that is just Hayes Code going, that's a spicy meatball. I just don't want to deal with the idea that somebody might have a good justifiable reason for not wanting to kill another human being based on a close reading of the Bible. And so we're just not going to give that its fair shake because we really want to talk about that time he killed a bunch of people and then captured a bunch of people because that was rad as hell. I mean, did the Hays Code have a problem with pacifism? I feel like there's enough jingoism in McCarthyism. But McCarthyism hasn't started yet. I mean... Not really. Not in Hollywood. And Pearl Harbor was bombed after this movie was released. It actually helped get this movie more viewers. I'm not sure if that was an issue, unless it's just not doing what the government says is bad. I may have my timeline wrong on this, but one of the things they sort of talk about in Six Degrees of Song of the South, which is like apparently the only podcast I've ever listened to about the history of Hollywood because I'm so well informed. They do a long sequence about that, which is around here and how McCarthyism was sort of just getting started influencing stuff in Hollywood, that they were starting to censor themselves around that stuff, even before it was full swing in the rest of the nation. But also, even if my timeline's wrong on that, which it really might be, because I'm fucking no Karina Longworth, this movie explicitly has a part where everyone in the military kind of thinks he's a piece of shit for being a pacifist. That's true. That is really my whole argument for it seems like they just really didn't want to engage with you can love your country and not want to kill for it as a really persuasive argument if you think about it for long enough, you know, like five minutes. Yes, but he only thought about it for four, so... <laughs> right. And then, God. Is it the worst World War One movie we've seen? No, because Here Comes the Navy exists. God, but that's not even a World War I movie. Isn't it? No, they never fight a battle. That is interwar period. That's set present day in the 30s. Because remember, he gets fired from his job and they're like depression on. I think it's just encouraging people to join the military in the 30s. I don't think it's a World War I movie. Oh, I'm getting it confused with, what's the movie where they have the army that they go and perform on Broadway? Oh, yeah, that is our worst World War I movie. Oh, God, what was that movie? Alexander's Ragtime Band. Yes. Where white people invent jazz. <laughs> yes. I was like, I know that I'm getting these confused, but they did both have blackface, hence why I got confused. Yeah, I had full on forgotten that movie exists. 
So you are correct. This is not our worst World War One movie. This is our second worst World War One movie. I wouldn't even say that Seventh Heaven is bad, but it was absurd. Seventh Heaven admitted some people had a bad time in World War One. Yeah, that's true. And therefore was a better World War One movie than this movie. I guess there's that one scene in the trench where the like rando guy dies from the shrapnel. But honestly, World War One seems like a grand old time in this movie. They go over, have two scenes. He captures 180 guys. The entire state of New York falls in love with him and he gets a free farm. World War One seems like it was fucking aces in this film. And when you compare it to the good World War One movies that we've seen, it's actually just depressing how not good this movie is. Particularly in light of the fact that it's about an actual guy. For a movie about an actual guy that actually fought in World War One, this movie cares more about the realism of buying booze in Tennessee than it does about the realism of World War One. That's a really good point. It's not good. Don't watch it. No, it's very bad. Gary Cooper is terribly miscast and doesn't do a very good job on top of that. It's bad. Good good day, sir. <laughs> uh, one, two, I don't... I mean, is it like... Okay, again, this would be the portion where a wildly racist thing happened. So if I zoned out and a wildly racist thing happened during basic training or them getting over to World War One, remind me. But I kind of want to give this a two on the basis of just like, well, at least in only having white people, you didn't say anything horribly racist against black people. Well, and there was no blackface. So like that gives it a one up on Alexander's Ragtime Band. Yeah. So like I like. So two is fine. Two. I. It's so sad because like this is the only time Howard Hawks gets nominated as a director. He is often lauded as a sort of forgotten gem of early Hollywood. Like, the director everyone forgets when they remember all the early Hollywood big names. And like, this movie fucking sucks. (laughs) It's competently directed, but there's no signature here. There's no sense of a directorial hand at all in this film. Yeah, there's no artistry. This is the guy that directed His Gal Friday. This is the guy that directed The Big Sleep. Gentlemen prefer blondes. Yeah, this is just bog standard. This is where the camera goes on this set directing. Yeah. It's a shame. I thought for the first like 20 minutes, at least I'll be excited by the cinematography. And then I was like, at some point? And then I was like... Maybe in the war part? No? This is such a work-for-hire gig for him. You can feel the like, yep, we got it, let's go to the next setup in every part of this. Yeah, it did really feel that way. If you want to see a good World War I movie, I will always go back to Grand Illusion. Every time I think about Grand Illusion, it like raises in my estimation. If we didn't give it a 10. We did. Oh, thank God. Yeah, because it's fucking perfect. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's amazing. It is amazing being a movie that on paper I should hate. (laughs) It's fantastic. But I mean, we've also watched other World War I movies that are better than this, but not as good. I would argue that All Quiet on the Western Front is phenomenal. I don't necessarily know that you should watch it because, yeah, you should watch it. (laughs) 
But it's a fucking bummer, as we've said before. (laughs) It's a huge bummer, and it is kind of a, like, missed opportunity. You can sort of feel the the book was better in All Quiet on the Western Front. Yeah. It's still a much, much better movie than this movie, my god. When I watched All Quiet on the Western Front, in addition to being like, oh god, I do not need this in my life right now, did think, this makes me want to watch a really good All Quiet on the Western Front movie, and this isn't quite it. I haven't seen the other one, but also apparently like 1917 is great, but we won't watch and review it for quite a few years. But you can go and watch it. Yeah, I've heard really divisive things, and you will have 10 years to tell me which side of that is is right. Because it's going to be a minute before I watch that film. (laughs) Yep. So next week, we are watching Here Comes Mr. Jordan, starring Robert Montgomery and Claude Rains. And I do like Claude Rains. God, outside of Citizen Kane, everything good is really backloaded, huh? Yeah. Maltese Falcon is right near the end, as is How Green Was My Valley, which I hear good things about. But not great things about. We do get the little foxes next next week. Yeah, but Betty Davis. Yeah, we'll talk about that when we get to it. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, who knows? Here comes Mr. Jordan might be great. You don't know. I mean, it is a terrible poster. Yeah. So that's something. So it has a 50-50 chance of being good versus bad, as opposed to having a great poster when it is certainly awful. You know, I was going to say that we have a good history with romantic comedies. But then I realized, no, we don't. (laughs) It's just that some of the best movies we've seen have been romantic comedies. Not that romantic comedies are always the best movies we've seen. Yes. Tune in next week and find out if this one is any good. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, man. This movie just took the life out of me. I don't. Yeah. It's so long, too. God, we didn't even talk about how it's two hours and 16 fucking minutes long. Which, like, how dare you, sir? How dare you? Uh, Really? Really? Yeah. When we say that the end where he goes to war and then gets lauded by New York City is 40 minutes, we've already watched this movie for an hour and a half. This movie is longer than Citizen Kane. (laughs) By, like, a significant amount. Yeah, by, like, 20 minutes. They thought they had 20 minutes more story to tell than Citizen Kane. And they had conservatively one twentieth of a Citizen Kane. (laughs) (laughs) If that, yeah. (sighs) I think that's actually being quite generous. Yeah. So yeah, tune in next week and until then. This was a human interest story. Do you remember when CNN, like headline news, used to devote the last two minutes of every 30 minute block to like cats? What do they know? Do they know things? (laughs) This is that, but it took two hours and 16 minutes. I was going to say this is 120th of Citizen K. (laughs) (laughs) That's also true. Uh, Uh, Bye, everybody. Goodbye.